the Business of Property podcast. I'm Simon. I'm Stuart. We're both property people running our own businesses. This podcast is just us chatting, as we often do, about anything and everything property. This week, I think we're going to talk a bit, at least initially, about rental demand. I've experienced this quite positively recently, but I understand, Stuart, you're finding, or maybe not rental demand lacking, but a lack of actual renters arriving so what why do you think you're you're struggling a bit yeah it's it's probably not about demand for from my side it's probably as much around using the right channels because although we talked about this i know you you, we'll we'll talk about the the rental demands that you're seeing but what what you're talking about there just to be clear on this podcast is so i've got a co-living property it's it's uh, one of the new ones we've just developed and we have two rooms filled, but we're still looking for the other three to to get uh, occupied. How how long has it been on the market? Just to give context there, it's probably been on the market for I'd say a couple of months. Really? So in two months they found two occupants. Yes. The only caveat, and I'm I'm not going to make excuses for them. But the only caveat is we only actually finished the works a few weeks ago. Oh, okay. So they probably weren't pushing it too hard. <laughs> they, they probably weren't pushing it too hard. However, what I would say is that I'm four weeks away from finishing another property. I don't think we've spoken about this one, but we've got a, a three-bed masonette which is coming onto the market. We're still a good four weeks away, I would say, of, of actually finishing the works, which is all en suite and furnishing in it. And we, we've got two rooms filled. So mm. that will be filled from mid-April onwards, I would imagine. Presumably that's being marketed with a different agency or, or are you marketing it directly or, or what are you doing it's, it's being marketed with a different agency. So the the challenge that you and I were just discussing before we hit the record button was was around the channel that the agents are using. So for the co-living space, the new one, they are only using Rightmove, I believe. Whereas I imagine when you showed surprise, you were thinking spare room. Yeah, exactly. It, I don't think Rightmove is really the place or the destination I imagine people go to to find shared accommodation. And you, you do see rooms advertised for, for rental and right move, but not that many. And as you say, spare room sort of comes to mind much more as, as the place to go to look for shared accommodation. So why right move? Do you, do you think this is just their bias towards single let advertising normally or... Yeah, I I think they are predominantly a residential agent. My view is that you'd have it on Rightmove, yeah. So all of my rooms are invariably on Rightmove, but I wouldn't expect that to be the sole channel for the reasons that you've just talked about. And also, if we think about it a little bit more deeply, the demographic of those that are looking for. So the two people that have got the rooms, for example, are mid-20s, post-grads, professionals, essentially the exact people that the property has been developed for which is which is good so on that score i'm not complaining but essentially you know we can't have three rooms empty for much longer i don't know why they wouldn't use spare room other than what we've just talked about which is they are a predominantly residential agent and therefore they think that is the is the only channel versus the other agents which have a a myriad of channels and interestingly and we'll, we'll sort of share this small anecdote 
when I did have the, you know, you start having the conversations with the agents around, well, why don't you think we are filling these rooms quickly? This is a brand new property. Everything is brand new. It's really nice. Yes, it's unique. So fair enough if people are viewing it and saying, mm, it's not for me. We have, And we had, we've had one of those at least that's just, yeah, it's not for me. And I, and I knew that that would always be the risk of doing a, a design of property with specific artwork. However, it's, we, we're not getting numbers through the door. And inadvertently, or not, not, not as directly, but the COVID, the COVID was used as a potential reason. Yeah, well, you know, there's other things. It wasn't said directly. But what I then said to the agent was, and this is true, I'd taken on 15 rooms in, since the start of February, and we have filled 13 of those rooms. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily be relying on COVID as the reason for, for not filling rooms. Yeah, quite. I heard recently um, in a landlord forum, people discussing the, the HMO market in Crawley. And the, the general view is that it's oversaturated. And since demand has dropped out from the aviation industry around Gatwick, the HMO room demand in Crawley has, has dropped, and hence there's, there's too many available. However, uh, an HMO specialist agency chipped into the conversation to say that they've managed to achieve an average of only 5 to 10% void throughout the whole pandemic. And, and they put that down to being very proactive in their marketing. They said as they're a reasonable-sized agency, they've got a, a reasonable budget that they put behind promoting rooms when they come available and, and actually sort of going out and chasing people. So I think that does make a difference. It makes a huge difference. And that is another key element is that I don't think in any industry, but certainly not this one, you can expect just to, to post something up online now and expect people just to come look at it. It, it does require proactive effort. Well, you say that. <laughs> I, I'm not convinced. <laughs> so I'll, I'll segue into my story. <laughs> I've I've got a, a rental property that has come empty and is now looking for, for new tenants. And it's a a, a three-bed house in Red Hill. It's nicely decorated and, and nicely put together, but it's it's nothing special, really. And I marketed it through Open Rent. So they push it out to Brightmove and Zoopla and, and all the other places. So they, I think so there's over 100 places they push the adverts out to, which is ridiculous. But anyway. As far as I see, they all just come in through, through the open rent dashboard. And within 24 hours of just posting an advert online, I'd had six or seven inquiries, and I was able to, to book a day of viewings the first weekend after that advert. And uh, unfortunately, due to various things, no one actually ended up taking it after that, that first weekend. So it went through another week's cycle for, for the next weekend when the, the tenants could, could help with, with viewings again. And I'd had nearly 30 inquiries by that, that second weekend. And it, it's just seemed to be crazy demand compared to the last time I marketed this property a, a couple of years ago. Is this a, re- it's a residential? So it'd be a family unit or couple buying it? Yeah, um, I mean, there, there are three sharers in it at the moment. So it, it can be a, a small sort of HMO situation, although they're all on a single tenancy. 
My preferred option is a, a family. However, I have there, there was one set of sharers who did view again um, on this time. They, they haven't uh, they haven't got it. it. It is now letter greed and going through referencing and stuff and, and to a to a family. But, uh, but yeah, it, it could be could be sharers as well. Yeah, well that's that's crazy, isn't it? Because I was thinking in the market that I'm in. I'm, I'm thinking specifically for co-living stroke, people call you know HMO properties that we are having to put definitely more effort in. But then from a residential perspective, as I mentioned before in this podcast, you know we we put our studio flat up, and and even though that was advertised, we had something like seventy inquiries in in a matter of days, and I had filled up a just a single day, ten viewings, twenty four hours. So I'd seen that on the residential side, but it's interesting that you're seeing that demand. Yeah, it, it's crazy. Because I had to wait until the next weekend, there were people who'd responded sort of early in the week who were chasing me later in the week saying, is it still available? <laughs> um, can, can, can we view, please? And because there were, were so many people and I'm trying to do this in so-called spare time, uh, I was actually a little bit lax in responding to people as in I let them collect for a few days before I then did, did a bunch of batch responses. And yeah, I find I was having to sort of go through the list with the, the sort of pre-screening questions they answer on OpenRent and prioritise who I responded to because there just wasn't enough time. So it, it was a case that the ones I thought were most uh, most likely to be a, a good fit, I would, would phone and talk to. And the, the lower fitting ones uh, would just get a, uh, an email response back. And see see if there anything went from that, but yeah, it's, it's surprising. And the I'm very surprised you had so much demand for a short let as well. I don't think we've mentioned it since we started recording, but we mentioned before recording that that was advertised on Brightmove as well. Which again, I'm surprised is the the right venue to find people interested in short lets. Yeah, I mean, why why Brightmove for that one? Well. It wasn't just Rightmove. It would have been pushed out to a number of different channels. But uh, Rightmove was, was the key one, I think. You self-marketed that, didn't you, through a, a, a digital tool? Yeah, this software called Visum, which is really good, pushes out the advert to a number of different channels. My view on that one is that the people that were looking, the bona fide people, that is, were, were looking for a short-term solution because they were looking for to buy on a longer term, but obviously given the where we were, this was the back end of last year. So my immediate thinking on that from my marketing background is that they're already on that channel. So it's less of a it's less of an obstacle because they're already looking for their purchase property on right move. So they'll probably go, oh let's have a quick look on see what's see if there's anything in the rental market before they jump to a another uh, portal which might might be more suited to so that was my view on that. And then obviously uh, my experience has shown that some people went on that looking for a short term, but maybe didn't have the intention short term. <laughs> that, that's uh, another story, yes, <laughs> um, which, which we talked a little bit about a, a few weeks ago, I think. So, <laughs> yeah, we did. Look curious; they can go back to the back catalogue and, and find that. Does Visum tell you where the inquiry comes from, or did you indeed ask anybody? So, do you know if they actually did find it on Rightmove or or one of the other channels that the Visum pushes it out to? Yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember whether or not it tells us that information. I don't remember seeing it. I, th- I think I think Rightmove was the predominant channel, though. Uh, without yeah, reviewing the 
the the template, but I'm pretty sure it's it's the key one. Very interesting. I mean, OpenRent doesn't tell me where the inquiries come from at all, and and I haven't asked anyone. But yeah, it w- would be interesting to to know that sort of um, that sort of information, especially for sort of the the, the less standard single let type inquiries. Yeah, and as you say, I mean, at that time, we were so inundated with responses coming through that you're kind of just managing that. But what I really liked is that is the option to, we had an initial email. So as soon as someone requested information, they would get an email straight back because my experience in, in life and business tells me that not everyone reads what's on the description. So the first thing was, are you clear that this is a short-term let? Uh, and you know a few other key points and by the way we will be holding viewings on this day and this day only so if you can't make that and that that was quite helpful at actually just probably discounting you know 30 to 40 percent of the inquiries of which there were a lot because then some people just some people had a had a full communication but never with me that the email would go out and they said oh yeah sorry no i didn't realize it was only short term thank you anyway and it's like oh good i didn't even have to get involved so that was quite that's quite helpful yeah open relay do something similar but i i didn't do the automatic response thing with them however they do do a a sort of pre-application uh, screening questions i think is what they call it so do you have pets do you smoke uh, what's your salary that's one of the ones they ask are you looking for furnished or unfurnished and what period of letter are you looking for the sort of standard questions and i was i was certainly able to use those to help me prioritize people although open rent allows tenants to apply in a number of different ways the, the standard way is you create an account on open rent and a, a, fill in a, a digital form or phone them up and an agent talks to the, the prospective tenant and runs them through the questions and fills in the form for them effectively. However, they also have a system where prospective tenants can leave voicemails. And when the voicemails come through in your OpenRent dashboard, they come through with these screening questions filled in. However, it transpires after me phoning OpenRent and exchanging some emails with them. They don't actually collect that information for voicemails. So they obviously ask the, the tenant to, to leave certain information in the voicemail, which some of them do and some of them don't. But the the details that then come through on the dashboard page relating to their salary and whether they smoke and what they're looking for in terms of tenancy length, whatever, is basically fictitious. It's, it's, it's made up, which is a shame because I reduced priority on, on some people based on that information before I realised this. So, so hopefully I didn't miss out on any any ideal tenants in that process. So yes, yeah, one one to to watch out for when uh, mm. when you're having to deal with such a an influx of inquiries and, and prioritise them. Yeah, you need, you need to be careful of the digital tools you're using and, and the information that's actually presented to you. Yeah, and then just final point on the information that's presented to you. Um, just check Devisum does give you the the channel that it's come through, but it's very manual. It's, you could sort by. Oh, that's really interesting that they do that. That's really cool. It is good, yeah, and I've just seen, I've just checked top and bottom, but the first few were right move, but one was on the market. So actually, if uh, if we're being more uh, planned about this another time, we can have a look at that and uh, give our own views. <laughs> yeah, work out some percentages and see if we can work out uh, market share for the different portals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. with, with, with 70 odd applicants, it's probably almost a representative sample. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I'm sure I'm sure Patma can help with that. Oh, maybe. Yeah. So, yeah. I, mm, I don't know because I don't get I don't get to see any visibility of applicant. I do see where properties are marketed, and I certainly know which portals people with the Patma browser extension installed are, are visiting most. So, yeah, I, I could probably have a look at some visitor market share type information mm, I, I did a quick random <laughs> check and it was it was right move zupa and on the market so it looks like those were the key pool kind of what you'd expect but in in sort of general residential lettings but but not what i would expect for short term mm. i would have thought other things would, would crop up in the short term although have you said that you've got spare room for hmo shared living type things but i'm not sure what springs to mind for for short term i mean obviously really short term holiday lets you've got airbnb as the the predominant player but short term as in sort of a couple of months i'm not sure where you would go for that are you aware of anything no i think and that's probably the thought process isn't it you'd start with airbnb but then if it's going to be a longer period of time from a short let perspective my new learning is that over 31 days you you're then challenged so maybe there is a gap in the market there if there is indeed a market yeah well that's the question I know from service accommodation operators that I've talked to in the past, they often go out and do sort of local networking and find local businesses who who want to take on those sort of short, but not holiday short, sort of letting periods. But but yeah, I've not heard anyone mentioning, well, yeah, I'm not not sure I've heard anyone mentioning people really looking for that other than through, through businesses. And I wonder if that's, a temporary demand due to the the pressures that the pandemic's created, or whether it, it is actually a real demand that's out there in the longer term. I don't know. Uh, do, do you have any any thoughts on that, on the people you were talking to for your, your short-term let? Do you think they were? it was just a temporary pressure from the pandemic situations? Yeah, def- I would say a, a percentage of those that I met for the viewings, and then we, we had to essentially cancel the viewings because the first three people that viewed all wanted the property. So we cancelled, but of those... One was, yeah, two two of the three, two of the three were looking to buy somewhere and just wanted to relocate in the area whilst everything else got sorted. And then the third, he was getting placed with work on a on a fixed term contract, so wasn't sure that he would be around for much longer, more than three months. So, yeah, so based on that very small cohort of that was, that was definitely a... Hmm. Did you talk to people prior to arranging viewings at all so when i've been doing my letting process recently before anyone got a, a viewing even though open rent had asked screening questions i would phone them up and talk to them for 10 to 15 minutes about where they're moving from who would be renting the property their current rental situation their job situation the reasons they're moving and and also rechecking the general screening things so check their salary is actually high enough to pass a, a, a credit check for the rent and check whether they've got any pets or smoke or all, all the, the, the standard bits and pieces. And only if people actually still seemed suitable would I then offer a viewing. Did you go through any of that prior to your your short-term let viewings or did you just sort of say, here's the day, here's the time slot, <laughs> can you turn up? <laughs> yeah, pretty much that. So we didn't do any of the pre well, the pre-screening was just that they would agree to the short-term nature of it, and I'm not sure if there's any sort of prerequisites on there on the application. I don't, I don't, 
I, I mean, I'm I'm definitely a person that uh, I had had a call from the first person that viewed and had a very good feeling about her, but my view was that meeting them on the viewing day would give me what I needed for that. Yeah, I, I, normally in in non-pandemic times. A, the demand was much lower, so I would just go with the viewing straight away, and I would be be there at the viewing, so I'd be able to ask all these questions during the viewing, and and check sort of the the, the requirements and and suitability and things. Then, and of course, when you actually meet someone, you you get a bit of a, a feeling for them as well. Yeah, exactly. Whereas this time, I I wasn't even meeting them at the viewing because I wanted to minimise people contact for for reducing viral risk that the tenants were kind enough to, to do the viewings for me and show people around. Uh, so this, this sort of initial phone call was kind of the, the only screening contact I, I would have with these prospective tenants. Which reminds me, I did one of the viewings, actually. There was a fourth viewing, which I did on FaceTime. She was desperate to see the property, so I walked, walked around with her. <laughs> as in, I walked around the property with my phone, talking to her and talking to her through it, and she, she really liked the property as well. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's that. Uh... That's definitely a new pandemic experience, I think. But uh, but I, I wonder how long that will persist afterwards. I suppose for people who are moving from further away, it, it may still be a, a popular option. Well, the people that have taken the two rooms out of the three of the building that we haven't quite finished yet, that was a video recording of a you know, three-quarters built property. So <laughs> no carpets, plastering's only just been done, shower suites weren't even put in, and that was a walk-around video. And they've they've taken two of the rooms. so. That might be something to do with the, the, the younger generation as well, not, not putting us in a bucket of not being able to do it. But I think as well, there's probably more acceptance of younger generations to to take things digitally as opposed to those of us that want, that want to walk around and touch the walls. And Yeah. Spe- speaking of, uh, of new technology and, and digitalness, there was a, a news item that I saw sort of recently that I thought we might, might just squeeze in before we run out of time today. And this is a, a service that's being touted by DocuSign. So they obviously provide online e-signature of documents. But generally speaking, something these services haven't been able to do is witnessed documents. So rental contracts, for example, AST, standard tenancy agreements, they don't need to be witnessed. You can just send that out uh, electronically. The the person who needs to sign it signs and it it comes back to you and that's, that's all fine. However, when you're purchasing a property, for example, there are documents in that process that have to be witnessed. So you as a buyer or seller must sign, and then someone standing there witnessing your, your signing must then also sign that they have witnessed that, that process. Obviously, in a, a pandemic world where we're under stay-at-home orders and where we have been in the past, and you can't easily go out and travel to people or see people, and indeed, you've got the actual risk viral transmission risk of, of seeing people and, and being in close proximity to witness signatures. This is something that's been, been a bit harder to do. So when I saw DocuSign advertising a, an e-signature witnessed system, I thought, oh, this could be really good. You could sort of be the answer to, to the pandemic process. And the, the sort of press release-based articles that, that seem to be around are really very vague, don't go into much details. But when you go and, go and read the details on the DocuSign site, quite a long way down in sort of the frequently asked questions bit it says does the witness need to physically witness and, and be present for the, the signature and the answer is yes so while this process can be done 
electronically and online, you as a signer and your witness both have to actually be in the same location, the same physical <laughs> location, do, doing this, this process. And DocuSign say that they record IP addresses and an estimated geolocation of an IP address in order to, to sort of bear witness to this fact that you, you and your wit- witness are, are together. So, um, so yeah, I'm not sure it really answers the, the question or the problem I was hoping it would answer. <laughs> but when, when you digitally sign something, like now, obviously you can use your own signature or a digital stamp. What, what would that require of the witness on that? I assume it's the same. So normally when you witness a document, you have to fill in, uh, you have to have to sign, but then you also have to fill in your name and address. Um, and I assume that this would be the same. And it does kind of beg the question, what's to stop you witnessing your own document and, well, that, <laughs> and, that, and claiming your Joe blogs from down the street? <laughs> exactly. I just, I just saw myself sitting there going, okay, well, that's, that's brilliant because I can just start witnessing everything because that takes half of, my, half of my time up. But then what stops you from witnessing your own paper documents with wet signatures? Mm. I'm, I'm sure you could change your handwriting a little bit if you so desired to, to fill in someone else's name. And and make up a scrawl that that could be their signature. I, I take it you don't do this. <laughs> well, not that I'd publicly admit on this podcast, but um, the <laughs> but again, I think there's barriers, doesn't there? I think if you're if you're if you're tempted, and then you look at the box and you think, oh, well, I've got to sign it, and then I've got to write a, an address in that someone there's kind of go, oh, it's probably just easy to get someone to sign it. But then you've taken those barriers away and just go, well, if I just click there and I've witnessed it. Maybe, maybe, maybe it needs to take a photo of you <laughs> when you press it. So if you're on your own, that's it, you're done. Yeah, Please I get mean, informed. exactly. The, the solution I was expecting them to have was far more complex. I, I thought they'd have the ability to have video calls or something and they'd record the video. That would be the evidence that you are, or you are in communication with someone who, who can witness you, you signing the document. And then you could do the signature online on a website and the, the video webcam, whatever recording, records your screen as well. So it's got the, the screen, you're clicking, yes, I sign, here's my details, here's my fake scroll on a screen, which never comes out quite right. And you can see my face as I'm talking to it. And at the other end of this video call is someone else, the witness, who is also watching me, watching my screen, do this thing and watching my face as I'm, as I'm doing it. And then similarly, they can do their bit, again, recording the stuff. And, and yes, it's a bit more involved. You, you, the technology involved is a bit more complex and the people process is a little bit more complex. They've got to have a webcam and they've got to be able to set up the screen sharing and whatever else. But the technology is is there. It exists. It's possible. People could do this. And yeah, that strikes me as a far more actually, uh, it strikes me far more as a solution that actually solves the problem. Mm. I haven't seen anyone doing it yet. Maybe it's out there and I just haven't discovered it. Yeah. Or, or no one's quite solved the problem clearly. I think the, although obviously your witness has to be physically present, it doesn't solve the problem I was expecting it to solve. According to the press releases, though, uh, solicitors are saying that it reduces their paperwork turnaround from a week or so on average to about a day on average because they just don't have the post issue to, to contend with. So there may still be benefit in it, even if it's solving a different problem to what I was hoping. Yeah, well, I know... Um... A lot of the, the mortgages I do, we have to get independent legal advice. ILAs, as they call them in the, in the trade, 
because all of the properties we do through the limited company are personally guaranteed. So then you need independent legal advice to make sure that you understand the ramifications. The fact that if you must have listened to that lecture so many times, <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, and I and I have sat in a room with a solicitor many times and listened to the same information, which is absolutely right. But uh, now we do do it on FaceTime. <laughs> it's still the same, but uh, but you know, so it does happen. But yeah, I think with the digital stamping and and, and IP addresses, but I do think that is that is a very. I mean, you're right. There's still a enough of opportunity even now to 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 fake it i think it probably just grows exponentially once you digitize but it seems like it's the way it's got to go because you as soon as you say that well it, it can take us a week or it can take us a day given where we're at as a as a nation surely we should be able to solve that problem and, and do it in a day and reduce that conveyancing element you would hope wouldn't you you would and and just apparently you can now so, so there we go. I'll include a link to the, the DocuSign uh, information on this and people can go and have a look if they're, they're really curious. And if you've ever queried on the fact that you've seemed to have witnessed several of my documents but don't recall ever seeing them, just 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 think it's, it's all fine. Nothing, <laughs> nothing undue <laughs> happened. Yes, I won't comment. Um, <laughs> I think we are out of time though. So... It just comes to me to say thank you to everyone for listening. I, I hope our ramblings have been maybe entertaining or interesting or whatever. But however you have found them, whatever you have done from the information you, you've heard, please drop us a note. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. You can visit our website for show notes and a contact form on thebusinessofproperty.com. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you and talking to you again next week. Bye.